December, the month of December, we began this whole Advent collision course, right? We're using this word collision. And our goal was to reframe how we think about the season of Christmas, which is really the very purpose of Advent. And so uh, we wanted to identify with God's people for Messiah. And the the goal we wanted to slow down, right? We wanted to take some time to slow down, uh, to embrace the things that arrived with Jesus, And uh, those things were things like hope and peace. Of course, today we're going to talk about joy and love as well. Well, Christmas has passed. Jesus has already arrived and the party is over, at least until Easter. And that tree that was once lush and green in your home is now turning brown and crispy, if it's even still there. Because I know some of you guys are sitting like literally at 26. You're like, all right, you are out of here, dude. Trees aren't supposed to be in my house, right? And if you've tried to move that tree, you know that all the needles, of course, are going to fall off all over your house. And you'll be finding those throughout the year. Uh, The sap that gets on your hands and on your clothes is uh, near impossible to remove, right? And so we start to take down the lights and the decorations. Some of you are frowning as I'm saying this. You're getting really sad. We start to take that stuff down and we pack it away until we resurrected next year. All of the cookies and the candies and the goodies that still remain, you're like throwing those away or you're giving those away to someone else as you move into the serious business of getting in shape for 2019. And tomorrow brings a new year and Christmas will just be a memory, right? Because I've got this plan. I've got pounds to lose. I've got a seven, like the seven step bullet journaling process that I have to get implemented before January 1st. There's so many things to do. And this is exactly what happens after Advent, right? Every year. But if we're not careful, our wonder, our thankfulness and our anticipation at the arrival of Jesus can also slip away uh, with these things and these themes. And with it, our hope and our peace and our love And especially, I would say, our joy can slip away as we begin a new year that brings back old fears. Uh, Most of you guys are probably familiar with uh, this app, and I have it right here on my phone. Hopefully you do too. It's the YouVersion Bible app. Just out of curiosity, how many of you guys have this on your phone or your computer or somewhere, right? Okay, that's awesome. So most of you know what I'm talking about here. So YouVersion... Back on December 4th, uh, they announced, they, they went through all of their data for 2018. And they released a whole bunch of statistics that were really, really interesting. But one of the most interesting to me is this particular verse. Uber said that this was the most shared, most bookmarked, and most highlighted verse of 2018. Right here, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This was not only the top verse globally, guys, but it was also the top verse within the United States. They actually broke it down by country as well. And then there were related verses that uh, made the top of the list in other countries. Some of those were uh, Joshua 1.9, 1 Peter 5.7, and Proverbs 4.23. So they broke it down globally, and then they went through and they did this uh, country by country. So in part, this is encouraging because people are reading their Bibles. In fact, YouVersion says that Bible engagement across their app was up 27% last year. So that's something we're celebrating. 
But what we learn from this, or at least what I learned from this, is that the glow, as the glow of Christmas and Advent faded in 2018, people spent the rest of the year with fear and uncertainty. And I'll suggest to you that given the state of the world in 2019, it may very well be the same. So one minute we're celebrating this monumental event right in human history. Finally, the arrival of our Messiah. This angel army shows up to declare peace. They say, don't be afraid, be joyful. Luke 2.10, and the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. We sing about it, right? We celebrate it. We celebrate heaven meeting earth and God colliding with man and spirit being made flesh and good triumphing over evil. And then the next thing we know, the year draws to this close and we enter into worry and anxiety and fear. And these things start to take a hold of us. And they may even overshadow any of the miracles that we've experienced in this previous season. But before you're too hard on yourselves today about it, I might suggest to you that you are in some pretty good company because fear not is actually the number one most repeated command in the Bible. Fear not or some form of fear not. Uh, We look back at Genesis 15.1 at the very beginning with the Lord telling Abraham not to fear. And then we go all the way to the end of Scripture in Revelation 1.17 when Jesus speaks to John in his revelation and he says, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And of course, it's said over and over and over again several times between those two things. And so if you're going thumbing through or swiping through your Bible right now, as it may be, there's a catch. Because the underlying intention when God tells us not to fear is almost always a command to be happy. And you can go through and you can look for yourselves. But God tells us more than anything else in different ways to find our happiness or our joy in him, regardless of our circumstances, rather than succumbing to fear. And so it's often followed with things like praise the Lord or do not be afraid or give thanks or rejoice, all of which are commands in essence to be happy. And so you're sitting here right now and you're probably thinking to yourselves in the immortal words of Steve Martin, who cares? Some of you are thinking that I know. You're like, that's great. Who cares? Because I've got bills to pay. I've got things that are happening that are coming up this year that I don't know how they're going to work out. I don't know how this is going to play. I don't know what God's going to do in this situation. I've got this health issue. I've got this family issue. I've got this thing, and that's great, but who cares? Well, if you're looking ahead to 2019 with anxiety or with fear today, I would suggest that you should care about this. So if not knowing what 2019, because sometimes that's the most stressful thing. For us, right? It's not about the things that we do know that are coming. It's about what we don't know. And that's what we're afraid of. So if not knowing what 2019 holds for you is stressful, if you want to have less worry, if you want to have less anxiety, if you're in a season of waiting and fear is setting in, then today's message is for you, okay? And it's certainly for me. And so we need to figure out how to find joy. So who's with me today? Does this apply to you? Let me know, okay? It's good. Joy, right? It's not just someone's name. It's actually a thing. And most of us would would equate joy with being joyful or the state of extreme happiness. Extreme happiness, right? 
It's like the happiness you find in a Mountain Dew commercial when you're snowboarding off the face of a giant mountain. You have no idea what's under you, but it doesn't matter because you're extreme, right? Well, joy, by definition, is a feeling of great happiness. But it can also be a source or cause of great happiness, something or someone that gives joy to someone or success in doing or finding or getting something. And so many of you experienced joy on Christmas morning. When you opened that gift and it was the thing that you asked for and you were so excited and there was a joy that rose in you and then three hours later you had abandoned that because you were tired of it. This happens with our kids often, right? They want it. I can't wait for this thing. It's so awesome. And then later on, yeah, yeah, that was great. Joy can be like that sometimes. But here's the thing. When it comes to joy, as far as biblical joy, God doesn't keep us waiting for someday. He doesn't make us wait for heaven. He doesn't make us wait for success, for better circumstances, or even for darkness to lift because he's offered joy to us from the very beginning. From the very beginning, he's offered joy. And yet again, when Jesus arrived the first time around, biblical joy refers to a feeling of happiness. And we see it expressed in the Bible in many ways, in everything from the things you might imagine, right? Like a, a good meal or a wedding or a, a wine or children or those different kinds of things, right? We see these moments of bliss in our lives that stand out in a world that's corrupted by our own selfishness. So we'll have these little blips of joy that show up in our lives. But they don't stay there, right? It's not something that just continues usually. It's like, there it is, it's there for a minute, and then it's gone, and then you want it again. The reason that we struggle with joy is because our world is marred by death and loss. And we commonly recognize joy as these sweet or fleeting moments that are sprinkled into our existence. But here's the thing. Jesus and all of his followers in the early church, they had this different understanding of joy. It certainly was these moments in life that were happy for them, but they had this deeper understanding of joy. In fact, their joy was so marvelous and so uh, apparent to others that that's one of the reasons that outsiders wanted to be a part of that early church because they saw this joy in their lives regardless of the circumstances that they faced, regardless of their persecution, regardless of any of these things. They saw this joy. Their relationships were marked by love for God and love for each other. And the joy that they had, even in those terrible circumstances. And most of you know, but there's this guy named Paul. And he was a key leader after Jesus had left the scene of this early church. And most of the writings that we have in our New Testament are are due to him. They're letters that he wrote to various churches and various people. And before I go there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever watched one of those movies? And I know most of you are Christians, so you probably don't have TVs. but, But I'm a sinner and I have a TV. So anyway... Um, have you ever watched one of those movies where right from the very beginning, you knew that there was a character and everything was going to go wrong for that character, right? If you've ever seen the movie, meet the parents with Ben Stiller, I can't watch it. It's like painful for me because you know that through the whole thing, everything bad that can happen to this guy will happen. I've, I mean, you can ask my wife, I've actually gotten up from different movies or shows or turned things off because I just can't bear to watch this person go through this uh, unfortunate uh, set of circumstances. Like, I don't want to watch necessarily a Lemony Snicket over and over again, right? Every bad thing that can happen to these kids happens to these kids. It's hard for me to watch that. But here's the thing. If you read through Paul's story, 
you will quickly get this feeling. And you know that you're having a rough life when they actually make a Bible chart based on your sufferings. It's like, let me tell you something, uh, Rick. Here's what we need to do. People need to know about Paul's suffering. So your assignment this week is I want you to go through and make a Bible chart of everything terrible that happened to him. And we're just going to wedge it right in there for people to reference at the back of their Bibles. You may have it. You may not. I'm going to give it to you. You know your life's bad when these are the things that happens to you. The sufferings of Paul the Apostle, right? And uh, this is by no means a complete list, but it comes from 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 33. And these are just the things that Paul tells us about himself that have happened. Always having to work hard. Too many stripes from whippings to count. Frequent imprisonments. He often faced death, near misses, or harrowing escapes. Uh, some of the Jews gave him 40 stripes minus one. For those playing at home, that's 195 stripes because they did that five times. He was beaten with rods on three different occasions. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times. Three times. And then he was out on the ocean for a night and a day, basically floating, waiting either for a creature to eat him or someone to find it. He went on long journeys. He was on dangerous rivers. He was in constant danger of robbers. His own countrymen wanted to kill him. The Gentiles wanted to kill him. So that's pretty much everybody, by the way. His own countrymen and the Gentiles, they all wanted him dead. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers among imposters and false brethren. It's like it could be a song. Always tired and still working, rarely slept well, often hungry and thirsty, often fasted in cold and nakedness. Add to all of this, he says, the daily stress and his deep concern for all the churches. So as if all of that wasn't enough, this guy was constantly thinking about what could go wrong with the church. And what could happen if they didn't get it, if they didn't grab a hold of it? But wait, there's more, right? Yes. He also struggled with what is described as a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that is, but we know that he prayed for God to remove it, and he didn't. He was abandoned by all of his friends while he was imprisoned, and he despaired even life. I do not want to see that movie, right? Or maybe I do. But I think we all get the picture. Paul went through some serious stuff. I mean, if we went through just one of these things, it might be enough to deter us from the faith. And yet Paul went through all of this. And listen, you would think a guy that went through all of that would kind of have a chip on his shoulder. He might have a grudge. He might be kind of an angry, cantankerous dude. And maybe he was. But you would also think that a guy like this would be joyless. But he was not. A few years later in his letter to the Philippian followers, and those aren't people with flippers. They're people from the city of Philippi, so they're called Philippians, okay? Just wanted to be clear. He shares this command with with all of his disciples there, and this is what he says. It's in Philippians 4, starting with verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And anytime you see something said twice in the Bible, it means it's really, really important. Anytime they repeat themselves, okay, I need to pay attention to that. It's like, listen, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will tell you, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what he's saying there, what supplication is, is basically when you're asking God in prayer for something. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. This is the same guy that that long list of bad stuff happened to. 
in this letter that he wrote, Philippians, one of the main themes of it is joy and how these early followers of Jesus were to claim it. He gives his disciples this commandment. Listen, rejoice always in the Lord. There's no wiggle room there. Always means all the time. And just in case you guys blow that, let me say it again. Again, I said rejoice. If you weren't listening, I'm going to say it again. Most of you know the song, right? Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say You guys aren't singing. You don't seem very joyful right now. So, if all that doesn't blow your mind, think about this. Paul is writing this letter from prison. And not only is he writing it from prison, but he is chained to a Roman soldier who probably wasn't super excited to be chained in prison to Paul. So I'm imagining him trying to write with a shackle on, and every time he starts it, the guy just jerks on it just to make him mess up his scroll. It's like, <laughs> oh, Paul. He's writing this from prison with a trial coming soon. And he has no idea what's going to happen in that trial. In fact, his assumption we can get as we read this is he believes he's going to be killed. He believes he's going to be executed for the things that have happened. He expects death. He doesn't know what's coming, but he expects death. And here's the thing. At least 19 times in these chapters, Paul mentions joy, rejoicing, or gladness. So I want some of that. What's Paul's secret? How does he do it? Well, it's exactly what you would think. Literally what you would think. In the book of Philippians, Paul repeatedly references the way that we think. He uses the word mind ten times. He uses the word think five times. And he uses the word remember one time. That's 16 references to the mind and the way that we think. So in other words, the secret to joy in the Lord is found in the way people who follow Jesus think. That's where it all starts, in our attitudes and what we focus our thoughts on. We may be waiting for Jesus to return, guys, but we don't have to wait for joy. Throughout Scripture, the prophet Paul and Jesus himself in the face of persecution and trials commanded us to rejoice. And that word simply means to rejoice yourself, to recapture, to reclaim, to reignite your joy. It's active. It's not passive. It's active. There's a claiming. There's a grasping. There's a grabbing a hold of that. It's a verb to rejoice. We're like, okay, well, that's great, but how do I do it? Because listen, man, I just lost somebody that I loved that was important to me. How do I rejoice in that? I'm facing financial ruin. What do I do about that, Pastor, man? Or how about this one? Health challenges. I'm going through some really hard stuff right now. I just went through a painful breakup. I've got troubles at work. I have a graduation looming in the spring, and I have no idea what I want to do with my life. How do I rejoice? And let me just take a sidebar here and say, we've been led to believe that sadness and grief and those kinds of things are in opposition to joy. But let me just say that grief and sadness and sorrow and pain We're certainly experienced by Jesus, by Paul and the other writers who have commanded us to have joy. 
And I want to tell you that this isn't a fake thing. You don't have to put it on. There's nothing wrong with experiencing those emotions. They're biblical. Grief is biblical. We're supposed to mourn at times. And I'm not talking about uh, clinical depression or some kind of a medical condition either. I think that's a whole other thing. Biblical joy is different. It's the attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and his promise. We adopt it. We grab it. And what does adoption mean? It means you take it into your home. You make it your own. It's now a part of your family. You adopt this. So how do we reclaim this joy? I believe that we have to purposefully set aside our fear and we have to look for it. So in the face of fear, we must choose to rejoice or renew our joy. The joy that's missing, we have to find a way to reclaim it. We have to rediscover it and then we have to reveal it. And throughout all things, he's talking about Joy, but he's also talking about how thankful he is for one thing or another. Have you ever noticed that? If you read through Paul's teachings, he's thankful for this. And I'm thankful that I was able to write this letter to you. And I'm thankful that you guys are still there. And I was thankful for the time that we had to spend together. And I was thankful for even though I got thrown off that boat, I had a log to float on. Like anything that this dude can be thankful for, he is mentioning it. So Paul knew something. And I believe that we need to get a hold of this. That instead of looking at Jesus... Through his circumstances, we must look at our circumstances through Jesus. Instead of looking at Jesus through our circumstances, like all these bad things are happening to me. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? We look through Jesus at those things. It's like, okay, listen, I am a child of God. I'm a son of God. He loves me. I know that he loves me. He's blessed me with so many things. We start thinking about those things and we look at the scene and it looks completely different. It changes everything. Follower of Jesus, his way of living, his commandments, his encouragement should change the way that we view this world. It's like we have this special pair of Jesus glasses, right? And we go around and we put them on. It's like, oh, that looks way different. Hmm. When we put them on, we see the world in its proper context. We see that this existence is temporary. We see that every person is a soul made in God's image that needs to know his love. We see that we must have the long view in all things and that God is just. And we see that Jesus will one day return to set things right once and for all. But our job, is to go ahead and get started in preparation for that day. Remember that portion of Philippians where Paul kept telling us to rejoice? You know, that part that was written while he was in prison? He doesn't just give us a command, and this is one of the things that I love about Paul. He doesn't just say, hey, you need to do this. He actually gives us some instruction, and it follows a few verses later in verse 8 of Philippians 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And if you do that, what? The God of peace will be with you. 
I would suggest that when we practice these things, it's the very definition of worship. When we're practicing these things, like when we pop open our Bible app and we grow closer to God, when we gather with others to study the Bible, when we show up on Wednesdays for fellowship and discipleship, when we participate in this church community, when we give where it's needed, songs to God, when we lift up the needs of our friends in prayer, when we serve others, all of these things are practicing the stuff Paul's talking about. And all of these things are worship, guys. When we focus on God and his perfect love, the only thing worthy of praise, Scripture tells us, perfect love casts out fear. And I love that word casts because that's not like a lob, right? Like when you cast something out, it's gone. If you're a fisherman, you know what I'm talking about. When you cast, hope is that's going way far away from you to bring a fish back. Perfect love casts out fear. And that's why Advent is so important and why it's more than a season. It's a reminder of how we should live at all times. It forces us to slow down and to think about the arrival of our salvation. Just to remind you of those themes, we had hope. Jesus, the light of salvation, has come for everyone and he will return to set things right. We have peace God made peace with us, but we must surrender and receive this gift and share it with others. Love, allowing Jesus to redefine the love in our lives, seeking the well-being of others without expecting anything in return, serving and putting others first, and living lives that show his love to others. And then today we're talking about joy, a deep trust in God and his promises for the future, and a contentedness in our walk with Jesus that overcomes any fear. And when we focus our minds on these things, this is where we collide with Jesus and he becomes the center of our attention. If you'll remember a few weeks ago, it's exactly what happened when Jesus arrived on the scene for the first time. The wise men seek the Messiah and they travel from the east following a star. Matthew 2 verse 10 tells us, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a lot of joy right there. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Worship is surrendered to God's power and his sovereignty in our lives. When we do the things that we talked about earlier, when we think upon the things that Paul encourages us to think upon, that is worship. And it is surrender to who God is, his greatness, his authority, his might. All of those things come into focus and they give us our proper perspective. It's like putting on those glasses. And this ultimately leads us into his presence where we find comfort and companionship, gratitude, and his goodness. So my encouragement today, guys, is when fear makes us feel like things are out of control, worship is always within our means. You can worship anywhere. You can worship by yourself. When fear makes us feel things are out of control, worship is always within our means. So as people of God, we don't have to look to 2019 in fear or anxiety. Because the hope and the peace and the love and the joy that are promised in Advent, it was delivered when our Messiah arrived and he has never left us. 
He may have physically left us, but the Spirit of God is here with us, and He will return. God was with His people then, and He is with us now. I want to close with this verse. It's John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God was with his people then, and he is with you now. So my question for you today is, what are you waiting for? Instead of staring into darkness, turn your eyes to Jesus and see your circumstances through him. There's no better time than now to turn our minds to God and to live these lives as thankful worship to him because that's what he is waiting for. Would you guys bow your hearts with me? Father God, we love you and we thank you again for your son Jesus. And I thank you, God, that you gave us your word as a revelation of yourself and that when we look at it, we see real people who lived real lives and who struggle with the very same things that we struggle with. And I thank you, God, that in each of those instances and references, you or someone representing you spoke into those situations to say, fear not. Father, I pray that as we move into a new year and as we set goals and think about how the past year has gone and make plans for new things to happen in our lives. Father, I pray that at the top of each of our lists would be a goal and a desire to grow closer to you. That whatever this year looks like, that when we look back at this time next year, we'd be able to see ourselves closer and more in love with you regardless of our circumstances in life. And God, I pray for those who may be struggling with fear or anxiety, looking ahead at what might happen in their lives. And God, I don't diminish any of those challenges or situations. But Father, I pray that you would just be a constant reminder in each of us that you love us, that you care for us, that we are your children, and that you are with us. pray, God, that you would be our hope, that you would be our peace, that you would be the love and the joy in our lives, that you would define who we are as people, that you would be our identity, and that when others see that in our lives, God, that they would be drawn to know you too. I thank you for these beautiful people that you've placed in this community. God, I thank you for the folks that you put in my life and how they demonstrate these things all the time. And I just pray, God, that 2019 would be a banner year for your kingdom. That you would push back the forces of darkness and that 
men and women who maybe have been distant from you for a long time would come home to you. Use us, God. We love you and we thank you. And all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.